This is a shock podcast. Shock. Well, with Alonso's age, he's got some wisdom under him as well. I, I feel like turn the clocks back a couple decades ago. A couple decades, not that long. Yeah. But let's say a decade ago when Alonso was a bit more hot-headed, a bit more like Max, yeah. he probably would have made the dive. 100%. Like when he was battling Hamilton for, for the World Championship. Exactly. Yeah, like everybody's fair game. But I agree. I think he's got a little bit more wisdom and he knows it's coming. I mean, you saw how happy he was for P... Have you ever seen anybody that happy for, a for P2. P2 on a podium? Yeah. Wow. You're the first loser. Yeah, so <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last, right? <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast. We have been away for quite a number of weeks, boys. We just had the summer break. How was... Did you guys even have a break? No. I feel like I need a holiday from that F1 holiday. Yeah, we've been busy doing our own things, but then again, trying to stay tuned to that paddock gossip yeah, all along. Exactly. And if we take a look at the gossip over the last couple of weeks, Valtteri Bottas did a bike race dressed up as Duff Man uh, and it seems like all the other drivers were on either a boat or a beach and I think that's about as exciting as <laughs> the, the, the silly season has gotten I don't know am I missing yeah. anything else no, uh, Alonso was the only one driving still driving keeping active at his own karting track in Spain but that's about it it's quite a boring summer uh, I mean, what have we got? Yeah, I, I guess it's not as crazy as the other seasons have been. Uh, but I've got here Magnussen and Hulkenberg signed for 2024. So that's good to see. That was really cool. Good job, boys. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, a very strong driver lineup. Let's uh, hope their car is at it next mm-hmm. year. Here's another interesting one. Felipe Massa is still actively suing for his apparent mistitle. What a sore loser. <laughs> I don't know, Dan. I'm not... <laughs> I was a little kid when that that whole kerfuffle happens, but we've all moved on from it. Lewis is already a seven-time world champion. (laughs) I mean... Do we really need to fight against this? I know there's damages, no doubt. There's, there's a lot of money in it, apparently. Yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of money in legal fees as well. So it's a long battle. But it's towards Bernie, who's actually one of his closest mates. Strange. I wouldn't want a friend like that. Think about it. It was both their first time. Like, it, it's Lewis's first world championship. It could have been Felipe's first world championship as well. And imagine, like, that could have turned things around for him, like, career-wise. Mm. I guess he's just sour about that whole thing. But it's, it's like, it's too long ago. Like, stop fighting about it. It's not like he's going to get back into a Formula 1 seat anytime soon. Anyway, and the last bit I have here is there's also a Braun F1 team slash Jensen Button slash commentated by Keanu Reeves' Formula 1 documentary about to come out on Disney+. Plus. Are we all excited for that? That is really cool. Uh, It was a historical moment for such a small team beating the big guys, winning the World Championship and just sold off to what it is Mercedes today. So um, Jensen left to McLaren. Um, but that whole journey of trying to get that F1 team on the ground and um, fighting against the big boys. Agreed. I just can't wait for Keanu Reeves to like, you know, run in like John Wicks, like, you know, with his limp into into the scene and just narrating everything. And I'm, I'm literally just going to watch it for Keanu Reeves. Anyway, if you guys do end up watching it, let us know how it is and we might put it into a future segment or maybe our producer's just gonna <laughs> delete this <Yeah>. segment completely <laughs> anyway let's get straight into Zandvoort it has been so long since we've done an episode <clears throat> on a race Ron can you please do the honours of the top five in both quality and the race absolutely so 
Zandvoort Dutch Grand Prix qualifying started off extremely wet. It was bucketing. Max Verstappen matching Sebastian Vettel in the ninth win in a row after the long summer break. Fantastic result for him. Dominant as always. Fernando Alonso coming in in P2. Great result again for the team. Once again, I think after the huge upgrade that they've had after again the summer break, Pierre Gasly finishing in P3. Alpine was very pleased with that. Okay, so before we get into more detail about quali and the race, there was lots to cover in the race itself. Let's start with practice because good old Danny Rick, who we know everybody absolutely loves is now officially injured he broke his wrist what what happened there guys it seems like on the um tarzan corner going up to the back straight he slipped his rear and uh, went straight into the wall which is oddly strange guys he still held his hands on the steering wheel and he snapped on his wrist so it seems oddly strange for someone experienced to actually do that because normally when you when you have shunt you reactively remove your your hands from the steering wheel but um he kept it on uh snapped his wrist and even did a surgery uh two days later so which is a shame he'll be out for a while i reckon I think it's because of the nature of the track, right? There's barely any runoff. So he was, you could see he was trying to hold it. He knew that he was understeering, but he was just hoping that it would just be a slight kiss of the wall. And then, boom, once you make that impact, the steering wheel just completely flipped over. I mean, this has happened in races that I've been in. I mean, even in the, in the slower formula. So when, when I was doing Formula BMW, which is like the lowest junior series you can do, so really not that fast at all. You know, a turn one shunt at Sepang, one of my teammates left his thumbs in the steering wheel. Steering wheel flipped over the other side and he broke his thumbs yeah it does it doesn't take a lot of speed for that to happen and it goes to show how dangerous it still is because it's open wheel the moment the wheel gets contact at a certain angle with the barriers that's it wrist gone thumb gone and he's got a metal plate now in his in his wrist and i think the um, the recovery period is going to be be a long time yeah, and I, I know girls all love Danny Rick, but apparently chicks dig scars. So I think his uh, his fan base is only gonna gonna do even better. But we wish him a speedy recovery. Of course, this whole incident has then left a massive opportunity for Liam Lawson. I will not touch on that yet because there is so much to unpack there during the race itself. But let's jump straight into quali. Throughout practice and qualifying as well, very, very treacherous conditions. Uh, so when you were saying quali, the results were Verstappen, Norris, Russell, Albon and Alonso. Let's touch on Albon first. His best ever qualifying position, P4 in a Williams what a guy. I mean, amazing. Both Williams were in the top 10 for qualifying. Mm. I think it was a great result for the team. They definitely found something in the car over the course of the summer break. But I'm questioning it because I thought during the summer break, there was a period of time. We mentioned this in the last podcast where they cannot work. So if they can't work, how did they get the new parts out? Jazz, maybe you want to share some thoughts on that? Sometimes I reckon this summer break has, you know, team building exercises, stuff that are done beyond the works of of the factory right there seems to be glimpses of speed and um, glimpses of really good pit stops done by Williams so I think with the experience of James Vowles he's kind of put the groupings of the team together over that summer break and then expedite as much uh, performance as they could I mean guys just recapping from what Ron said of the race earlier they were disappointed with its position you know and and that was something 
out of the ordinary for Williams. They won it sixth or or, or top five. Mm-hmm. So they really raised the bar up high. They want to fight against the big boys and and they truly deserve it. The fact that they're you know putting all the hard work that they can in such a small team and small budget um, organization. Now the interesting thing with James Valls is all the interviews he does talks about the long term plan. He's like I'm building a team for three years down the line and. Culture takes three years, he said. If anybody's going to have proof in the pudding for that, it is James Valls. I mean, having seen that in Mercedes, where arguably one of the most military-style cultures in Formula One. So he knows how to get it done. And he's basically saying, don't judge me on my performances in the, in the next kind of two to three years. Wait till after that. Quite contrarian to what's going on at Alpine, which we spoke about in the last episode, because we know that there's just been mass cullings of all senior management. I mean, like, everybody's been given the axe. So to have the result the Alpine drivers had, particularly Gasly then in the race, is is pretty spectacular. But yes, a lot to watch out for uh, from the Williams. One question I do want to ask that will maybe help some of our listeners that aren't too familiar with driving race cars, but getting a Williams into P4, why is it that when the conditions are wet, that suddenly everything equalizes a little bit more, right? Like we we all know that Williams is not as good a car as the others in the kind of top five. But why is that suddenly possible when it starts to rain? That's a good um, topic to bring up, actually, Dan. Sometimes you see Haas being in the in the Q3, and sometimes you see Williams, you know, qualifying up front, which is a good thing. It's simply because there's three factors. Number one the driver themselves manage to extract uh, performance as much as they can within their driving ability. Number two is having the team give you the information at the right place at the right time with expediting the uh, usage of the tyres. These F1 tyre windows are very, very small. Even whether it's wet or it's dry, there's just that that certain three-lap window or one-lapper window uh, to to maximise that that, um, strategy. Number two, getting into Q3 is sometimes a big relief for these smaller teams. So getting the pressure off the shoulders and say, hey guys, we got nothing to lose, no targets here, and just do our best. And so happened that best is actually a sixth, sixth place qualifying. So, um, fourth place. Uh, fourth place qualifying, sorry. So, and, and, and that was mega. That really put together the true potential of the team. So that brings them confidence to the next round then. For sure. And I mean, uh, from a driver's perspective as well, <clears throat> you end up extracting more out of the tyres, right? When you're racing in the dry, you know, you really are at the limit of the tyres and at the limit of the machine. But in the wet, you're not really at the limit of the machine. You're driving to the limit of the tires. And because everybody's on the same tires, there's arguably less performance to be gained from better aero, from better power delivery. Okay, fine. There's going to be some impact in terms of the actual chassis design and structure and the engineering behind that that might be able to give some drivers more grip. But really, that's why slower teams and quote-unquote slower drivers can then make those amazing appearances when it does get wet. And this is something that we've said in the previous episodes. When it does rain, I just feel like Formula 1 gets so much more interesting. I mean, we had such an interesting uh, multiple practice sessions, such an interesting quality when it did start to rain again in Q3. And then the race itself. I mean, let's talk about that now. I think the start was really interesting. Mm -hmm. I think the middle bit was arguably a little bit boring. But Mm -hmm. then when the rain started to come into it again later on, I mean, it's kind of like, wow, like this is why I love this sport. So Mm. let's talk about the havoc 
that the rain reeked when it when it bucketed down. Let's start with Ferrari, guys. Wow, I mean, Dan, we we spoke about this several races. They they just not prepared, aren't they? Like they they pitted at the right place at the right time, had potential to gain positions, but the tires went out. You know, they got the wheels off, and um, the guys in charge of the wheel nuts had they don't have a tire ne- right next to them. So. That communication is still appalling. Having said that, Charles had also uh, damage on his front wing. Mm. I also think the the push rods were a bit bent for him, so it's it's a bit difficult to drive in those conditions. So they retired the car soon after, and Ferrari just doesn't seem to have a stream of good results. So. I don't know where they're heading. Is it really their fault? I mean, like, I, I heard, you know, another commentator mention that it was just because Leclerc basically notified them as he was already in the pit lane. And because they're so high up in the pit lane, like quite, quite close to the pit entry, they didn't have much time to react. So it's not necessarily that Ferrari are doing the worst job. It's just maybe with the communication and the luck, it's just always unfortunate for them. But yes, you know, it is a string of mistakes that just constantly happen. And I don't know if you guys saw in the news, I mean, people are asking Leclerc now, I mean, rightly so, is this going to be his, you know, last stint with Ferrari? Like, are you really going to consider moving elsewhere? Yeah, that's putting it in ourselves as well. Like, if you were a Ferrari driver, as glorifying as it is, prestigious as it is to be a Ferrari driver, mm. for how long can you be with a team like that if it's not performing? Would you make that choice of, yeah, I want, I'll want i stay with the team because it's Ferrari, or even though it's Ferrari, I need to go somewhere else that can get me the results I deserve? Because it's also just going to drag your reputation down, wouldn't yeah. it? We, we know how good Leclerc is, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's funny because in the response to that question Leclerc gave was, um, that's not the question we should be asking. I want to focus on winning a World Drivers' Championship mm-hmm. with Ferrari. Uh, and if we have a little throwback Thursday to um, to Alonso, I remember when they asked Alonso where he's going to go next, and he said, Ferrari will be my last team in F1. And lo and behold, it just really, really wasn't. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I really do think that a driver as talented as Leclerc will likely be keeping his options open where yeah. possible. I mean, it's a good thing you, you, you brought up about Alonso, Dan. They did an exclusive on Sky Sports F1 about Alonso's career. And he did mention as well the fact that um, during his time with Ferrari was the most precious and valuable time. And if he could turn back time into a younger Alonso, he would have made and enjoyed a lot more time that he, he was in Ferrari. So that weight over the shoulders, being a Ferrari driver, is just very, very heavy. So the fact that they they are having a, a string of bad results are just making it worse. And now the Haas, their F1 uh, Ferrari customer team, Haas, is performing, in my opinion, better than them. Mm-hmm. The cars maybe not there yet, but as a team, they look more structured. They are not making the mistakes Ferrari's making. If Ferrari's not careful, yeah, they'll be overtaken by by their own customer team, which is which is unreal. And and just to make it clear for everybody listening, when you're a customer of Ferrari, what what do you get from Ferrari? You get certain part supply, uh, Dan. You also or you used to get some wind tunnel time as well. But it's also sharing our data knowledge. I think a lot of the data knowledge from the sensors are, for, for example, having more efficiencies towards aerodynamics. It's also efficiency of setting up or using up the tires during a race stint. Teams used to do this, for example, McLaren and Force India back then. Um, yeah, Ferrari and Haas has been doing that for quite a number of years, and and Haas has the excess of of using the Ferrari simulator and we know how valuable simulators are or simulated data are uh, to transmit back to the factory in Banbury for um, for Haas. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's totally valuable, but 
certain approaches can be different. You don't follow just because you're following Ferrari, right? Yeah, 100%. It is a team sport at the end of the day. There are so many more variables that we have to take into account. Uh, it's not just the bits and pieces that you stick on your car. It's the bits and pieces and people that you stick around the car. Good on Haas, and then we know they've got a good, strong driver lineup for next year. On the topic of Alonso... Let's keep that going. I put here in my notes, Alonso still got it. I mean, his start is mega. I, he has the best starts of any Formula One driver ever, in my opinion. I, I genuinely believe he is one of the best drivers in the history of driving. I really have so much respect for him. Agreed. I'm, I'm with you on that as well, Dan. And if you saw his, you know, for those who didn't watch the race, like you can look back at the recap. The restart of the race right at the end, the last four or five laps under safety car, he had the chance like he was charging at max mm. I think he had the opportunity if he had the opportunity to do it but he picked his moments right sort of thinking like this is uh, Zanvor it's Max's home race and I think if he pipped him at this race weekend he might not walk out alive oh yeah <laughs> the fans would be storming the track yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he's, he's smart. Like he knows, all right, the car's got pace. I'm confident. Let's just win another time. Like we'll give this to Max. He deserves that nine wins in a row. Uh, I think he has that kind of confidence, you know. I mean, not, not saying like Max deserves to win. Like he's got all the outright pace, but Alonso knows he has something up his sleeve that he hasn't used yet. It looks like that from, from the interviews he's had. Well, with Alonso's age, he's got some wisdom under him as well. I, I feel like, turn the clocks back a couple decades ago, a couple decades, not that long, yeah. but let's say a decade ago when Alonso was a bit more hot-headed, a bit more like Max, yeah. he probably would have made the dive. 100%, like when he was battling Hamilton for, for the World Championship. Exactly, yeah, like everybody's fair game. But I agree, I think he's got a little bit more wisdom and he knows it's coming. I mean, you saw how happy he was for P... Have you ever seen anybody that happy for, a for P2. P2 on a podium? Yeah. Wow. You're the first loser. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last, right? Um, I mean, uh, you make a good point. He he could have won it. He did come very, very close. I know the spray was, was quite significant at the end. Uh, it was so hard to see if you're just, you know, not out on your own in front. But another thing is, I think he would have had an even better chance at winning had he not had a horrible 8.6 second pit stop. Let's not forget that the team did mess up a little bit on that pit stop. Mm -hmm. I know that that wouldn't have got him as close as he was after the safety car because the race was red flagged but that would have allowed him to pit Perez mm -hmm. and only have to focus on Max true so yeah I think he still got it he is going to win eventually um, I mean we'll talk about winning a minute later but let's look at the other end of the driver's positions and we saw Lance Stroll same car Dad owns the team uh, in P nowhere. I mean, I honestly don't know what happened to him. I just, I, I put in here to ask you guys. So yeah. please, please help me out. Because <laughs> I don't know what happened over the summer break. But yeah, Lance just looked like he was nowhere in the race. He was nowhere to be seen. My focus wasn't even on him. I don't know. I think just didn't have the pace all weekend and just, you know, wasn't in that, wasn't in the, the spotlight at all. I mean, it's one thing to not have the pace, but to have that much of a disparity, right? Yeah. Like your own teammate is P2 and you're dead last. I mean, that is on par with, and I know we're going to get some hate for this. Let's rope in Sergio Perez. I mean, to be blitzed in qualifying like mm -hmm. that, to be blitzed in practice, to be blitzed during the race with such a deficit on lap time and, and the, the final delta at the end. I mean, that is a real slap in the face for, for Perez. There's been heavy comments really, Dan. There's been several races. I think everyone admires, or even within Red Bull, it looks like they admire his 
his racecraft in trying to expedite as much performance as he can. But yeah, the deficit is still not healthy within Max because that car is capable to do a lot more, you know, to, to, to drive a lot more. Historically, of course, driving a new car is never easy and you're going to tracks that is not commonly having you know a base setup or base data that they can gather from but it is not healthy with this constant uh, beating by max mm-hmm. i think it's it's also not healthy you, you know just look looking at lewis and bottas right we've seen that five year relationship lewis says he's the best teammate he's ever had but then the best number two he's ever had so mm-hmm. is max actually seeing that you know just admiring as a teamwork just because you know perez is is the best number two so you know I, i'd love to see perez fight up front and fight for that world, world championship against max but not battling around trying to survive in that in that red bull yeah i mean you only ever say you have a best teammate when they're never a threat to you ron wasn't jazz your best teammate Yes, he was never a threat to me. <laughs> <laughs> But no, fair enough. And look, I, I think the the kind of bullying and anxiety that he might be getting from the news as well is not doing his confidence any favors. I mean, I, I'm seeing again and I'm hearing from from friends, you know, there's, there's, there's articles where uh, Horner is like, Perez is safe for, for next season. And then the next day you get an article from Helmut Marko being like, Perez's future depends on Zanvoort. And it's kind of like, Yo, if this guy has Instagram, which we all know he does, and he probably follow, mm-hmm. follows Formula One, we can, we can fact check that later. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, he is seeing this stuff. P- Perez needs to know, and I think he knows that he's driver number two and he forever will be if he's going to be in a Red Bull. And he has to accept that, otherwise he won't keep his seat. Historically also, if you put two alphas in the same team, let's put Atten and Alan Pross together. Mm. Didn't work out. Lewis and Fernando Alonso didn't work out. Mm. You can't have two strong drivers in the same team. It'll backfire. I completely agree with you in every other team, but I feel like that's what Red Bull wants. Because the thing is, if you are a number two in Red Bull, mm-hmm. they will fire you. Yeah. No questions about it. And I agree, every team needs a good number two, like Bottas to Hamilton and Mercedes. I think that was a, an amazing duo, kind of like Massa and Schumacher. I know they had a kind of tuffles as well, but this is too much. And let's not forget, Alonso is only 33 points behind Perez in the Drivers' Championship right now. Mm-hmm. That is embarrassing. Mm. I, I, there's no True. nice way to spin it. It is just embarrassing full stop. I, we're really going to get hate from yeah, all yeah. the Perez fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our producer is giving us bombastic yeah, yeah. side eye right now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you guys think he's gonna stay in the seat for next year oh, yeah they've been into these situations before Dan I think they had that Weber battle combo uh, with the whole multi-21 mm. kerfuffle I think um, they've been through stuff for example with Gasly previously who's underperforming underperforming number two um, they've even had drivers that jump in too early for example with uh, Alex Albon so they've been through it all so to deal with such situations if they say that look Perez stay put and stay number two and then you get your your next year's contract um but red bull is not waiting you know they've already um are preparing you know they they have the budget to find any driver they want um as long as they keep max in a very safeguarded environment mm-hmm. performance and all the new upgraded kit is going to him then there's nothing else to bother about yeah fair enough uh and speaking of i mean we, we know red bull has some of the best drivers in the world under their portfolio you're both dads and i want to know what both of your 
parenting styles are. Do you train your kids up in a safe environment so that they can face the world equipped with a toolbox of skills, or do you just throw them in the deep end? You guys are looking at me like, why why am I asking this question? (laughs) I mean, I'm more favorable of the throw you in the pit and go and learn. Okay. You know, learn it the hard way, then you'll be tough and strong when you when you're on your own and in, independent. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna play this podcast back when your your child's slightly older. Yeah, I say that now, but I might not do yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree with with Ron as well. You got to throw them in the deep end of the swimming pool and try to swim, right? But um, I think both drivers, having said that, like Perez and Max, they were thrown in a deep deep end within their careers. Um, Max, for example, we all know yours was a very strict parent. Um, he's got banned in in karting races. He's you know he's very known and popular about about those kind of things. Yos the boss, exactly. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, Perez was also thrown in in a deep end from um, from Mexico into living in 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 a one bedroom apartment in Germany. You know what I mean? So he had to try to find a survive. He didn't speak English at the time. Um, very well uh, but he's got good backing and, and, and a good manager who's Adrian Fernandez who raced in multiple championships in sports cars and indie cars and champ cars uh, in America but then um, he's got good fundamentals to, to bring up his career so I agree with Ron throwing in a deep end and, and try to swim all good points but I actually asked that question because Liam Lawson got his baptism of fire right this guy is racing in Japan he did one practice session in the wet in Zandvoort, and then he was straight into qualifying, also in extremely tricky conditions. I mean, this guy has, I mean, obviously had his dream come true, mm-hmm. becoming an official Formula One racing driver, but probably in the most nightmarish way it could happen. Because I mean, as a racing driver, you want it to be dry. Yeah. You want it to be on a track that you've been driving since you were in the junior formula, a track that you know, you know how to push the limits. Even if the conditions do change, you know how to handle it. But a track like Zandvoort, it's relatively new. It's just reopened because it, it was under construction. It's it's wet, dry, it's in between, and then you have no running time at all. I-, I did think at the beginning, and I think some of us listening will be guilty of this as well, I was like, Liam Lawson was like dead last. I mean, come on, bro. Like, you know, you're meant to be the next prodigy. You're meant to be up there straight away. But let's give the guy credit. When he did get those, those laps up, he was making his way up in mm-hmm. front. And uh, I think he's, or well, I hope he's going to do quite well because he's, he's going to be in the seat until Ricardo comes back and that might be a while. Yeah, kudos to him. He did extremely well for all of those conditions thrown to him. Uh, Zanvo's not the easiest place as well to drive a Formula 1 car, to drive any car, in fact. And with it being rain, dry, whatever it is, he kept all four wheels on the tarmac, did not make a mistake. You know, you could see his times improving as well as the race went on. He was fighting closely with the guys. He wasn't, you know, 20 seconds behind anyone else. He did well for his debut, I have to say. So here's a question. Why did AlphaTauri not go back to getting Nick DeVries, right? Let's put this in perspective. It's his home track. He's Dutch. He knows the track. He's got Dutch fans. It's good marketing. It's good promo for a junior team that doesn't have as much promo as Red Bull, right? I mean, everybody's wearing Red Bull merch that, mm-hmm. that weekend. And he's done, what, one, two seasons? Like, he's driven this F1 car before. So it's less of a risk. But why did they still go with Liam? I think the grooming process starts now already, Dan. Or perhaps Nick is already in America and Harvard doing his, um, doing his course. And Liam is on a break and, and doesn't have his, his race in Japan. So other than staying in Tokyo and, and Milton Keynes, I think he's the closest driver that, that, that they could uh, fly out. I mean, you can see that his helmet didn't have the AlphaTauri logos. You know, some of his kit still has the Red Bull Junior stickers on them. And I think they want to already measure his, his uh, adaptation now. But you're right. 
you know, Zanvo is probably an unfair, you know, swimming pool to, to, to throw into. But he did a mega job, right? He mm-hmm. he battled with the Ferraris. He yeah. didn't crash, didn't put a foot wrong. And you know what I like about Liam when there was a video of him walking to the track and did his first interview and his level of confidence was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to take up this challenge and I've been waiting for this for a long time. Mm-hmm. But how long is long, right? Is it last year or is it a couple yeah. of months back? But he was ready for it, no matter whatever that was thrown to him, because yeah. he knows how Red Bull works. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even thrown in the swimming pool; he was thrown in the ocean, just down the beach, across. But I really think that this was worst case scenario for Ricardo. I mean, let let's put the broken wrist aside. His debut into AlphaTauri this season was to prime him to potentially replace. Perez, mm-hmm. right? We we know that that is what he's vying for. And as we've just spoken about, Perez may get fired this year. He may get fired next year. But all we know for sure, what I really feel, is he's going to get fired. So that spot's going to open up. But is it now Ricardo, Or is this priming of Liam Lawson going to pit Ricardo, And are they going to put Liam into that red ball and prioritize him over Daniel because he's younger blood? I don't know. If he, if he shows up yeah. Yuki enough this season, he might prove that he's better. So much speculation. It, it really depends on the contract they currently have with Ricardo on how many, how many races left they have with him. And if Liam proves to do well in the next few races while Ricardo's recovering, who knows? Um, Rebel's notorious and known to, you know, to do stuff like that, to just throw drivers around and just reshuffle the entire, the entire lineup. Because, I mean, Ricardo's come back with this kind of relaxed aura but when he does come back it's not going to be relaxed anymore because Mm. he knows he will have however many races left to outshine whatever result liam lawson puts in yeah and this very well may be the end of his f1 career he's older people love him he's better at marketing Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day that doesn't really matter i mean we're talking about perez being fired let's you know the guy brings in some of the most sponsorship money of any driver in the sport from south america so if it was all marketing and money perez would be there forever Mm-hmm. But here we are talking about him being on the line. Let's talk about that same scenario for someone else. Logan Sargent, we know he's bringing a lot of money, right, from the States. But I don't know, I kind of feel like this might be his last year as well. It was a bit of a disappointing showing. We saw a rookie mistake, actually, Dan. He he crashed at the exit of Shivlak Corner, right on the curbs when he was damp. Uh, we know that, you know, wet, damp curbs are avoidable. But Albon was miles ahead, right? Like, every single session, every single race, he's just hanging on. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's not really showing any spark into his, his talent or, or his uh, performance. He did an okay qualifying. He was in the top 10 in the Q3 for mm-hmm. the very first time. But results are in the race, right? So, looking at where Albon is, and Albon looks very settled and, and confident in that Williams... He he doesn't look quite the same. I mean, he was. He did say as soon as he crashed out, he went on the radio and was like, oh, something dropped on the front right. So he was blaming a mechanical issue. But I know, Ron, that sounds like an excuse I would have made when I was racing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we won't know for sure. Um, if something did, then okay, maybe it's unfortunate, not his fault. But he did crash in qualifying himself in Q3. So it's not surprising if he did it again in the race. Yeah, yeah. so... Win it, bin it, I'll ask you guys later. I'm I'm going to ask all of us to say it at the same time. So I'll expect all of us to say his name. (laughs) Next driver that I really want to focus on, I mean, Russell, I saw very harsh criticism from Toto Wolff on the performance of the team, uh, reflecting on himself as well. Russell went from right up at the front to just pee nowhere. I mean, where did it go wrong for them? Um, He stayed out too long, guys. 
mm. you know when the when the rain happened and when everyone was busy in the pit lane they didn't react to it uh whereby lewis did lewis was pissed the first time round when they didn't call him in but on the second time when it when when it showered they 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 reacted to it i think george went the other side of the of the table and said let's stay out and and the engineers and the and the uh, strategists also said okay you know we hang on to it and see how how long we go and and they'd lost a lot of time mm-hmm. like almost 40 seconds if i'm not mistaken yeah. yeah so that was enough to get him out of the points and by the time you want to chase back the front guys are already gone this doesn't look like uh, a normal mistake that mercedes a team like mercedes would do all these teams have got all kinds of radars all kinds of sensors to detect when the rain's coming they did that well for for most part of qualifying the start of the race and also right at the end when they're warning the drivers rain's coming in the last 10 minutes of the race um lap whatever whatever so it, it is a it is a very silly mistake for mercedes to do that and george was doing well at the start and just went nowhere I mean uh, even with all the tech that they have I I I don't know how technical it is or right? I don't know how accurate all of their sensors and stuff are but but given their position and and still being relatively the kind of underdogs do you think it was a necessary risk for them to take to try and go long and and hope that it stops raining and it, it does dry because because this track does dry pretty quickly I mean mm-hmm. it's it's got a lot of camber which means it's got a lot of banking so the water can flow out and we saw that you know even when they did pit for wet tires it wasn't long before it got dry so was that just a necessary risk that they had to to play don't think it was planned i think they just went by let's try it and see if it, if it pans out it's a very unique situation right yeah. and like previously we were discussing about ferrari making strategy calls and it sounds like they have to do a board meeting to just get a an <laughs> they, approval they, they, they do <laughs> yeah to get an approval and to pass the message down i think mercedes has always been the safer part of the uh, equation when they do strategy right and the common trend is that they always undercut Mm-hmm. a lot of the competitors around them so on this other hand uh, you know judging from watching the race and seeing where the rains were uh, the patches of rains that, that 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 were coming they knew about it they thought it was just a passing shower which is not worth that risk actually having to look at the end of the race so maybe it's a bit of experience um uh, maybe it's also a little bit of juggling something too much on the deep end mm-hmm. uh, they, they they missed that opportunity well either way i'm sure toto wolf is absolutely caning them in their post race reviews and debriefs uh, which i'm sure we'll see in the next season of drive to survive um let's talk about another team that was up there at the front at the start of the weekend and then trailed down they did make a bit of a recovery but the mclaren duo i mean it was a pretty good first half of the weekend for both uh norris and piastri uh, and of course they're riding on that high from before the summer break we we we've seen this revitalization of mclaren mm-hmm. we were saying before we've never seen zack brown so happy but he's back to doing really short instagram captions where now he's just reflecting and saying that they they need to do better where did it go wrong both teams still made it into the points they still score points for the team where did it go wrong i really can't tell kind of lost tracks halfway through the race to be honest because I was focusing on those front guys yeah. <laughs> he was on on all the instagram yeah. posts the from uh... <laughs> yeah i think mclaren on the other hand it looked as though they were prioritizing too much on norris mm. uh, at the time although he's further up the grid but then piastri was actually capitalizing mostly on the stops if if we look at the first and the second actually um but it's also down to pace guys mm. i don't think the race pace was actually strong, strong enough yeah, yeah to uh, to hold on to the guys like red bull and aston mm-hmm. 
especially Alonso. So they dropped back and started battling out with uh, Lewis and and mm. and um, Albon as well. Albon passed one of the McLarens um, mm. when he was damp-ish wet on Inters. Yeah. Yeah. So what went wrong really, Dan? I think it's actually poor race pace. Okay. Well, on the flip side to that, a driver with good race pace. Let's talk about Pierre Gasly. I mean, I feel like he's one of those drivers that just everybody loves. You know, I guess he's he's kind of like in between. I was just trying to think. He's, he's kind of like white bread. Everybody loves him. Um, <laughs> uh, great job post-Alpine management shuffle up. Uh, of course, finishing in P3. What can we say? Yep. Uh, yeah, he, just yes. mega, full Super stop. job. Mega. Super yeah. job from him. <laughs> it was like the underdog um, the whole way through the race. Nobody saw it coming. And then, oh, hang on. Gaz is in P3. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did well. He pulled some really cool moves, guys, mm-hmm. like outside of turn one and then going into Tarzan, like right side by side. Like there was some really cool moves. It's very Pierre, you know, um, he's he's a racer. He needed this to to boost the team mm-hmm. and to boost his image with Alpine. You know, I don't think it, they, they started off on the right foot. Yeah. And he doesn't want that Grand Prix winner status to just fade away so it's a good start for him I mean it, it really does give a, a confidence boost because I mean when you when you finish on the podium in a car like that a lot of the time it's because you are opportunistic and you get yourself ahead and it's just a case of maintaining yourself up at the front right like you you capitalize on a crash you capitalize on awful weather on some kind of you know Ferrari messing up on another strategy and your team just pips in front and then it's a case of maintaining the pace but this just goes to show how much Gasly's actually matured. I mean, it wasn't just maintaining the pace. This race had safety cars. This race had wet. This race had dry. Mm. This race had a red flag. This race had a very difficult restart because we know how tough Max can be on the restarts. I mean, he was going as slow as a tractor at one point and then mm. shooting off and the whole field is bunched together with loads of spray. And through all of those different variables, he still maintained himself up at the front and this is not the same driver that we've seen in previous teams before where his confidence has crumbled I mean I really think we're starting to see the the renaissance the kind of peak of Pierre Gasly so it's like the Gasly we saw when he was back with Torosso. yes yeah. comfortable yeah it's very impressive to see him finish so high up considering the team is going through a whole restructuring model because mm. that tends to destabilize the team a bit confidence wise and trust wise as well massively yeah. massively so do we do we see him moving anywhere in the next year or so i think he's got a multi-year contract or agreement currently with with alpine um he's pretty settled there i reckon dan and i watched one of his interviews in which he said he's in it with alpine to grow in the long term so looking very settled mm-hmm. french loyalty i i think i think he knows how cutthroat other teams can be so yeah i'm sure if you know that there is long genuine long-term growth in the team then i think he's pretty much establishing himself as the p1 driver because ocon wasn't exactly there just just don't do what Ricardo did, jumping from team to team two years and then another team. It, yeah. Yeah, you, you won't have that loyalty and then teams won't think of you as well as a replacement anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, jump every one year if you want that 20% salary increase <laughs> for for your normal <laughs> corporate job. Yeah. But in Formula One, if you keep doing that and you don't get into a winning car, you're right. Just yeah. like with Ricardo, you really run the risk of mm-hmm. absolutely ending your career yeah and i think ricardo was so lucky to get back yeah. and he's just completely i was gonna say rear-ended it he front-ended it and yeah, yeah. broken inside and outside um so 
Summarizing, extremely difficult conditions. Max winning nine in a row. He's now matching Sebastian Vettel, a fellow Red Bull alumni, for the most consecutive races won in a row. I hate to say it, it's probably going to be 10 or 11. I mean, we've got a, we got a long I, track coming up. Yeah, Singapore's com- uh, sorry, Monza's coming up. Red Bull's really strong <laughs> at, at high-speed tracks. We'll see. We'll see. I would like for him to you know, beat the record and do something new of his own. You know, for someone his his age, someone at his caliber should deserve something like that. Well, records yeah. are meant to be broken. Yeah. Now, to round off the show, it's time for our customary win it or bin it, where we decide which driver of our choice has won it and which one has absolutely binned it. Usually we go one after another. This time, I'm going to ask all of us to say it unanimously. So I'm going to give you guys half a second to decide who your win it is and then who your bin it is. And we're going to say it together. All right. Like a choir. Win it. Ready? Three, two, one. Alonso. Alonso. Ooh. Oh. Okay, so Jazz and I both Alonso. Who did yeah. you go for? I went for Liam. Why? Well, debut, extremely high pressure. He went into, you know, he went to Zanvoort not knowing that he was going to be racing that weekend. And he made it through. Like, he finished the race, car unscathed, under very, very difficult conditions. He won for me that weekend. Alternative, yeah. but I, I agree with all your points. Why, why Alonso, Jazz? It's nice to see him back on the podium, right? There's been several races, struggle races, um, finishing 7th, 8th, and, and they wanted their first win by, I believe, Barcelona or, or, or that bit when they started moving back to Europe. His overtaking move was spectacular throughout the throughout the weekend. His pace was so strong, and ah, it's nice to see him smiling back on the podium, so he won it for me. Yep, 100%. All right, boys, bin it. Ready? Three, two, one. Perez. Logan Sergeant. Whoa. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with Jazz on this one. Logan Sergeant. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. I, I, actually, I actually put here Sergeant as my second option because I know we bully Perez too much. But, I mean, you guys are being nice, so I'm going to continue bullying Perez. Why, why, why Sergeant? <laughs> well, Binder in Q3, even though he was, you know, he's in the top 10, but yeah, he didn't even give him a chance to try for ninth or eighth, maybe. And then bend it again in, in the race. He just binned it, Dan. Like, <laughs> he literally, he just he literally binned, binned it, it nonstop. You know? Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, He's we're, binned we're, it the last few races. We're, we're taking well, so. it literally. Um, I would justify why I chose Perez, but you guys can just rewind this podcast and listen to my, my ranting earlier on. Okay, looking forward, we are back in the swing of things for the second half of the championship. The next race is in Monza in Italia from the 1st to the 3rd of September, so really not long to go. Please do stay tuned for the next episode. You can listen to Suited and Booted, the Formula 1 podcast on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms, including the Shock app, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe. We're seeing all the data. We love all you guys tuning in to listen. The most important is, of course, leaving us a five-star review. It really does go a long way. Follow us on social media. Drop us a DM, either on our Suited and Booted Instagram page, uh, or just slide into any of our DMs. I know most of you might be sliding into Jazz and Weyron's DMs already. Keep it up. Ask questions. We will answer them next week. And all I'm going to say is I hope it rains again in Monza otherwise it might be a bit of a boring runaway (laughs) it's definitely a Red Bull weekend um, but we'll see the meat pack having a good battle okay well plenty of analysis to come only a week away my name is Daniel Woodruff I'm Weyron Tan I'm Jasmine Jafar and this is Suited and Booted take care and drive safe